think Alex is going to be passing out Bibles in the back if you guys need any. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15. And so I'll, I'll open us in prayer and then we'll, we will learn together. God, it says in your word that your mercies are new every morning, and it's, I understand it's a, a tremendous mercy. If you would allow us to learn today, to be changed by truth, to not go on in the, maybe the trajectory of our own choosing, but, but to hear by your spirit your words of truth and to embrace them wholeheartedly. I pray that we'll do that in your mercy. I praise in Jesus' name, amen. So I know, I know everyone isn't like me, and that's a really good thing, but I think there's probably one thing that we all share in common, and that is a love for dictionaries. <laughs> I love dictionaries. Um, they're empowering when you don't know a word. They will tell you what that word means, they're just so helpful, and, um, and I, I know that sometimes when we come to church, we feel like we should all be carrying a dictionary, because some of the terms just, whoosh, you know, they're, they're like, wow, I, they use that word a lot, they use it passionately, <laughs> and I wish I knew what that meant. <laughs> so, so today, we're, I'm just going to talk about the gospel. What is the gospel? What does the gospel mean? Because it is so, so important that we get it. That when I say the gospel, you guys are like, oh, I know what he's talking about. So, um, first I'm going I'm to give you a, a snapshot of that, or Jason's going to give you a snapshot of that, just in the experience of what the gospel looks like in changing a life. And then I'm going to just give you, in the scripture, what, what it means when, when the scripture talks about this term, the gospel. Because I will tell you this, if you're a Christian and you don't get the gospel, you don't get anything else. <laughs> it is that important. And so I'm going to invite Jason up. He's going to share his story and how when the gospel collided with his life, his life changed and the gospel didn't. It changed him. So, um, so when he comes up, he'll, he'll share it just with you briefly. And then and you'll, you'll still probably think that be like, I like that, but what does that mean? So, so then I'll, I'll come in with maybe some of the explanation of it. Can I sit down right here? All right, Daniel, you can sit down too. It's going to be a little while. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, so first of all, my name is Jason Tompkins. I am. I wrote this when I was 29 years old, but I'm 30 now. I've uh, been happily married for six and a half, almost seven years with, uh, with my beautiful wife back there, Alicia. I um, have two awesome, very active boys, and I want to give glory to God uh, because as a kid, uh, as a youth, I could never look ahead and see any of this that God would have in store uh, for someone like me. And, and so I, th I think that's a lot of our youth out there have that. Um, so I'm just going to share with you uh, real quick what my life was like uh, before Christ, how I came to know Christ, and how he has changed my life. Um, so number one is uh, before Christ, uh, my family was torn apart at the age of 10. Uh, meaning uh, my little sister and I went into a foster home, and my 12-year-old sister uh, went to the streets, kind of on the run. 
Um, after I was back at home uh, at 13, I left for the streets. Uh, so I didn't live at home with my parents. I just bounced around from home to home. Um, my little sister was adopted, and my 15-year-old sister was starting her first prison sentence of five years for manslaughter. Um, and then at, at around the same age, I started using marijuana and getting drunk, hanging out with all sorts of the wrong people that you just do when you're not living at home and you're on the streets. Um, at 14, I started using uh, meth. And before I was 15, I was selling both uh, throughout Kitsap County, uh, feeling like I was an adult, you know, high and mighty, super strong, even though I was like 115 pounds and I was, you know, a 14-year-old little kid. Um, with no hope, no, no real look at a future, no, no one to look to, no one to go to for guidance, uh, anything. Um, hopeless, lost, depressed, bad morals, values, confused, angry, and a user of people. You know, if, if you had something I could use, I, I wanted it. Um, and uh, two, how I came to know Christ is, number one, it's by God's grace. Um, uh, and it had a lot to do with the coffee oasis, but more than the coffee oasis, uh, the people who were volunteers there or, or owned it, um, a lot of the Fredericks, you know, uh, uh, and what they were to me, they were a place to get free food at first, be a kid, um, where I didn't have to have a street front on me. Um, when I was locked up in and out of juvie, uh, let's see. Yeah, when I was locked in and out of juvie, uh, the staff would sometimes open up their homes afterwards for uh, when I was to get out, so I didn't have to go back home, or because I was just going to run away as soon as I did get released and put back at home with my with my parents. Um, just wasn't a great place to live. Um, uh, when I would take off, they were praying and even meeting us on the streets. I just remember uh, uh, one time I was sitting at a dealer's house, and this is like a, a big-time house where you don't want not just anybody goes and knocks up on this door. I mean, these are crazy criminals. And I don't remember who it was, but I think it might have been Daniel and this guy Peter and two or three other of the Fredericks. It might have been Rebecca as well, but they all came knocking on the door, right? And so someone comes into the back room and is like, um, there's some, like, goody, like, you know, like some people out there for you, Jason. And I'm like, I swear I didn't call the cops, you know? <laughs> and... uh Anyways, but that, that, that's, that was the heart. You know, they didn't care. They just went out and they're, they're gonna, you know, they sought after us. They loved us. They cared about us. Um, God cared about us. God placed that on their hearts, um, places that on our hearts as well. They treated me like one of them. They became my father, my brother, my mother, and my sisters. Um, and what they offered uh, through genuine love was hope, peace, love, kindness, self-control, patience, gentleness, faithfulness, and goodness. Um, all those things I didn't have as a kid, uh, all those things I could never really see myself having. Uh, thinking back then, I could never see myself being in a healthy marriage or wanting a healthy marriage or driving a legal car without having stolen it or... Uh, having a job or being trusted in, you know, a job other than Burger King or being trusted in a job to, you know, I, to lead a uh, construction company um, or anything like that. It's just something you didn't think of. Um, and how has this changed me? Uh, number one is Christ came into my heart and opened up my eyes to the things unseen 
you know, so back then a lot of healing took place and he really just came in with the gospel, you know, showed me genuine love, showed me people and I care about you, Jason, and showed me how he could change me from a, a, a meth addict slash lost kid to a kid with hope and a, a kid who cares for those who have gone through the same thing. Um, uh, he changed me because I deeply care for the lost, for torn families, the addicted, the impoverished, and the youth who remind me of me. Um, one of the things that's big for me is he's helped me to become a, a productive part of society and our community. Uh, and that's so important to me because when I was that kid, I just saw myself as an outsider, as someone who uh, doesn't want to be a part of that or could never even be a part of that because of my criminal history or anything. But God doesn't keep that label on you. That label gets torn off, thrown away. He, he changes you into that um, and, and to what he's called you. And, and he takes that label out of people's eyes as well. Uh, so, uh, with that being said, uh, uh, one really neat thing is my family has like really been placed back together since then. My mom has given her life to Christ. My older sister has given her life to Christ. And then my little sister, who I didn't see from the age of six to the age of 22, just contacted me through Facebook last year. And she's actually been going to Saturday Night Oasis for, since before I even got to know her again. So it's like really neat. Like all these years, I never knew where she was or anything. And uh, it seems like she's given her life to Christ as well. And, you know, all of us have a lot to, um, for God to work on in us. Um, but yeah, now, and now it's our job to <laughs> tell people about Jesus um, and what he's done for us. And we all have a testimony, all of us. So. so in 1 Corinthians 15... 1 through 11, it says this. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach and this is what we believe. So what is the gospel? As, as Paul drops into this, there's three things he talks about before saying this is of first importance, and he heads into it. But first thing I want you guys to get is that, that this is what is preached. This is what's been preached by the church. It's not a Christian church unless it is the gospel that's being preached. And so sometimes we come on Sunday mornings and we're like, this is so abnormal. People just don't come and listen to preaching all the time. But listen to this. If you, if you enter this scripture and you see in the New Testament how, how things were and how they took off, this is what it sounds like. Matthew 24, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world 
as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Luke 9, so they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. In Acts 8, it says, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Acts 20, 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given to me, that of testifying to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 9, 16, get this. This is the heart of the Christian message. And Paul says, yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast for I am compelled to preach. He says, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. This is our message. This is all we have. Why? Well, second, he says, because this is, the, this is what saved you. And, and we're going to get into, because when you say saved, you have to ask the question, well, what are we saved from and what are we saved to do, right? And we're going to get into that in a second. But, but the salvation that we find in the gospel is in Jesus Christ alone, it is the only way to be saved, and that's what's presented in the New Testament. In Acts 4, it says, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands healed. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven and earth by which men can be saved. And then the last of these three things is he, is he walks towards saying, this is the gospel. He's like, the third thing I really want you to get is that you need to hold on to this, right? What you've heard, this gospel. See, oftentimes we think in our lives that there's like, uh, there's levels. Well, in Christianity, there's not levels. It's not like, like you're Christian and then you're a cooler Christian, right? It's not like you're a white belt Christian, then you're a black belt Christian, you're saved through the gospel by grace, and that is the same gospel that you hold firm to your whole life. It does not change. That's where life is found day after day after year after year after year. Salvation is found in no one else other than Jesus Christ, and if that doesn't restore you and renew you, you're holding to a different gospel. That's, that is our message. That's, we, that's what we rejoice over. In, in Colossians Two, it says, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him rooted and built up, strengthened in the faith that you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. May every day the gospel, as we talk about it, be something that every morning you're like, thank you. Thank you for the gospel. If you wake up and you're not thankful for the gospel, that day you've lost sight of what it means to be someone who's a Christian. Right? You, you can't say that day like, I am, I am holding to the promises of God unless you can say, I am thankful for the gospel because this is it. This is it for me, right? Woe to me unless this is it for me. Um, so what is the gospel? Because I know we got to the end of that and you're like, you still haven't told me what it is yet, right? So, so what, it, what is the gospel? Well, first of all, it's interesting as you walk into this is the gospel is a story, so oftentimes as we look to a definition, right, when you flip open your dictionary, sometimes you get cool pictures, but besides that, you usually, usually get this very, um, very strict, short amount of words, right? But literally, the gospel is a story, and it's a story that God is telling, and it's about him, and he includes you in it, right? So the gospel is strange because 
Because it isn't just the gospel is this. Hope. Right? It's, like, it embodies so much, but it's embodied in a story, and that's how Paul shares it in 1 Corinthians. If you follow him here, he says, this is what I give you, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, that he was buried and raised according to the scripture, and he showed himself to a bunch of people. <laughs> like, wow, that's it? <laughs> like, that, that's the gospel. That he, he, he was buried and for our sins, and, and then uh, he was raised, and that's it. <laughs> Woe to me if I don't preach that every single time I stand before you guys. Right? And this is why. It literally is a story that changes all those stories. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. The significance of this is that sin signifies separation from God. And everything in the Bible is contingent upon are you in relationship with God or not? That's it. That's the whole story. God made us to be in relationship with himself. And when sin entered the world, separation from God occurred. Literally, sin is acting upon our separation from God. Right? If you are acting in relationship with him, right? if you're acting from the spirit he put in you, you will not be sinning. Right? But sin is literally acting out, living out our separation from God. And so, and we talked about this last week, uh, Isaiah 59, it says, Surely the arm of the Lord isn't too short to save, and his ear isn't too dull that he can't hear you. But it says, but your sins have separated you from God. That's the story, right? Why are we broken? Why are we hurting, right? Why do we feel like we're separate from God? Because our sins have separated us from God. Right, so the greatest news in the world could be that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Right, if, if that's not the greatest news, you're not getting what sin is. Because the whole Bible is contingent upon us getting that the best thing for us is to be in relationship with God. Romans 6.23 Memorize it, own it, for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. That's the gospel, right? For Christ died for our sins, according to our scripture. There is nothing more important than relationships. There is nothing more important than relationships, and these should be easy for you to understand, right? If, if I said to you, would you rather go through the most severe physical pain that you have experienced or have thought about experience or watched the person you love most dearly be injured, hurt, or killed, right? What would you say? Well, I'm assuming you'd probably say, don't answer if you think otherwise. I'm assuming you'd say, I would rather go through that myself. Right? I would rather endure that myself than... Right? So what are we saying? Relationship is more important to me than my, relationship is the most important. Even on, in this sort of relationship, right? We're saying, yes, relationship matters, and God made us for that. God made us for relationships. So the best news in the world, 
possible could be that God would restore us back into relationship with himself. Because we find in the beginning of scripture, after creation happens, and God says, if you disobey me, you will surely die. And we found that death wasn't merely a physical death, but it was literally a separation from God as he sent them out of Eden. And from then on, we see wandering people, right? And that's what we feel in our lives when, when, we, when sin is our habits and our patterns and what we own is we are living wandering lives, right? And where is home? Well, home is being restored back into relationship with the Father. And this is why sin is so damnable because sin signifies our separation. So, How did Jesus' death take care of the problem of sin? (laughs) If this is gospel, and the gospel is this, that Christ died for your sins according to the scripture, how did it take care of your sins? Well, well, sin meant death. And you get the the promise throughout many things, visualized in many things, even, even something as simple as when Adam and Eve were cast out of the Garden of Eden and and God slaughters animals and gives them a covering. So when they leave, he's, he's covering in a very um, temporary way their shame, right? So the death of the animals that caused that. But then you see sacrifices, but then so visibly, probably the most visible in the Old Testament is the Passover, right? The Passover, when, when families and Israel itself would place the hand, the high priest of the people would place their hands on the, sh- on the, on the sheep and he would, on the lamb, and he would, he would literally symbolically transfer the sins of the people onto that lamb and then it would be put to death. And this happened year after year after year, waiting for the time when Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Behold the one who will take the sins of the people. Behold the one who will take away the separation that we've experienced. In Romans 3.23, it explains it like this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And oftentimes we just end it there. But there's no hope there, right? There's no gospel there. That's just, that's before the gospel comes, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We know that, we feel that, we experience that on a daily basis when sin is our pattern. But it said, but are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. And this is the beginning of the gospel. Christ died for your sins according to the scripture. So whenever we say the gospel, we were meaning what happened when Jesus died. But more than when he died, when he was buried and raised according to the scripture. Now it's important that it keeps saying according to the scripture because the story of the gospel doesn't just start with Jesus, but this long waiting, this long agony of I quote this all the time, but oh, holy night, right? Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. (laughs) Long time we have spent waiting till the soul could feel its worth. 
And so the, the promise, according to the scripture, is that the Messiah would come, the lamb that would take away the sins of the world, and he would be buried, and he would be raised. Because there wouldn't be triumph over sin if sin claimed another, right? If he merely died. Right? He died for our sin, but what if he remained there? In Isaiah 53, and we spent quite a bit of time here over Easter. This is a, a great Easter passage and one of my favorites. Isaiah 53, 9 through 11. This is part of that according to the scripture part where he says, and he, talking about Jesus, was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, a guilt offering for our guilt, for our shame, he will see his offspring and prolong his day and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servants will justify many. And it says, and he will bear their iniquities. He will bear their sin. So, what's the hope in that? Well, the hope is that Guys, you're literally, your loneliness, your shame, your guilt, that sometimes you don't even know how to put your finger on it, right? Maybe you just, maybe you just carry it, right? Like, like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, you just carried this burden. And you, you, maybe you can't even identify it. Um, when we look to Jesus, he's going, even for that which you don't know, I'm giving my life. In Acts 24, um, another part, it says, according to the scripture, Paul, this is, this is beautiful, you'd like, if you'd like to turn there, Acts 4, 24 through 36. Sorry, it's 2.24. If you're in 4, you'd read something else other than I was reading. 224 through 36, it says, But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? <laughs> but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And David said this about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life and you will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried in his tomb to this day, but he, but he was a prophet and knew that God had promised an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ. And he was, he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God had raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses to the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand 
until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. This, this is the gospel that we preach. Right? And it was, it's been so good to me to go through this this morning and this week as I just thought about it. And I thought, man, so oftentimes I think that I'm like setting that aside and going on to like black belt in the kingdom. And <laughs> I miss out on God going, this is the gospel, Daniel, that Christ died for your sins according to the scripture. That he was buried and that he raised, that death couldn't hold him. Right, the death need need no longer make you afraid because he conquered that. That's what we celebrate every time we come together. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says, the sting of death. What is the sting of death? It says the sting of death is sin. Why do we fear death? Because sin. And the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gave us victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Death itself, what, what seems most absolute, what seems most sure for everyone doesn't need to be fearful or doesn't need to be hurtful for those that come to Jesus Christ. He's claimed victory over that. That's the gospel, right? That Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died for your most profound feelings of separation from God and said those don't need to be there anymore, And he was raised and just proved it with power, not only according to the scriptures in the Old Testament, but but then then revealed in the New Testament and then witnessed by people that saw him. And this is what the next few verses in 1 Corinthians 15 are talking about. He says, then he appeared to the 12 and then he appeared to more than 500. Literally, what this is saying is this, that that, that this is the gospel, and we tell that again and again and again, and it was witnessed by people because it's a true story, right? It's not like an Aesop's fable, which just has a moral tale to it, you know, that you're impressed that the turtle beat the hare, but, but you, we read it and we go, this changes everything, This event that happened, um, the, the man, Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose from the dead, that changes history, right? That, that we believe that all history should be seen, Christians believe that all history should be witnessed through the lens of the gospel, right? That everything after the fall in Genesis 3 waited for that, right? longed for that, needed that. And then when Jesus comes, everything after that has the opportunity to be freed by that and celebrate that. That's, that's history, right? Everything, everything is changed by the gospel. And when I say the gospel, I mean that Jesus died for your sins according to the scripture and was buried and he was raised to life, right? The gospel, the, that word gospel isn't magical. And sometimes when you go to church, you can feel like that because they're like, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, right? (laughs) That word isn't magical. What we're talking about (laughs) is God 
dwelling among us, right? Doing something that we could not ask for. Because which one of us would be like, I feel so separate. God, could you come and die for me? The, the gospel, and, and so as we, we move from this, this public crucifixion of Jesus and then his resurrection, which was witnessed by many, that he said at that time, he goes, we're still alive, go talk to them. The continuing story of this is, is get, gets even more personal when Paul says, and it's, it's by grace that I am what I am. And, and by grace, this is what he is saying, is that, that none of us would have thought of that, would have asked for that, would have even known to desire that, <laughs> but that it was in God's heart and mind to restore relationship with us, right? All we could do is go, ouch, <laughs> I'm lonely, I'm hurt. Like, that's, that's all I know how to do. And then God goes, I'm going to rebuild that relationship, because this is the story that Jesus shares in parable, and he's actually kind of copying a story in Isaiah 5 is this. He goes, so he goes, earth is like this. It's like a vineyard, right, that, that was planted, and then, and then, uh, then tenants were, were allowed to live there. And he goes, and then the landowner, he sent, he sent a servant that said, hey, you know, there's a landlord, you should probably be in a relationship with him and give him rent, right? And what did the people do? They, they killed him, the servant. And so he sent another servant, and they killed that servant, right? Sent another servant, killed that servant too, and he goes, what will I do? This is what the landlord said. He goes, I will send my own son. Surely they will respect him. So he sends his own son. And where do they go? They go, if we kill his own son, then it will be ours, that is the thinking of, that is our thinking, right? That is the thinking of the world apart from him. Well, maybe if we finally get God off our backs, then the world will be ours and we'll be able to finally figure out the mess we're in. We'll finally be able to democratically function. <laughs> but God goes, okay, I'm going to send my own son and with their thinking to crucify my son, I'm going to do the greatest switcheroo in history, and I'm going to save them through that. Right? It's amazing. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for a friend, and we would not have asked him to lay down his life. Do we get that? Do we get that? And I want you guys to hold on, on to that that I was sharing earlier. Would you go through the most severe pain yourself or watch the person you love go through that? Right? And that's what God said. He goes, I will go through that for them because I love them so much. They don't get it because <laughs> all they do is when I send somebody to call them back to me, they kill them. Right? When they, when they feel the loneliness in their own hearts, they reject me again, thinking that I'm the one causing that loneliness, but it's really their separation that's causing that. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to send my own son, right, who's going to die for their sins. And I've been telling them this story. It's according to the scripture. I've been telling them this story, but they don't get it. They don't get it. So I'm going to send my son, and he's going to die, and he's going to be buried according to the scripture, and he's going to come to life, and then, 
And then that is, their, that is their way of coming back to me. That there needs to be no more separation, no more loneliness in their hearts. That they, by grace, can be saved and experience freedom. Right? That they can, they can live lives of joy and peace and satisfaction because they're connected to me again. Right? If they have problems, if they have anxiety, they can pray to me. Right? If they have questions, they can ask me. They're restored to that kind of a relationship. And so the Christian, understanding this, in Ephesians 2, memorize this and repeat it to yourself often. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. It is by grace you have been saved. That is it. So this is the gospel that he, and I've said this probably 20 times, but this is it, get it. This is what we preach every week. And sometimes it's not as, as just four-pointed as this. <laughs> he died for your sins, according to the scripture. That your sins are no more when you come to him by faith. That he was buried and rose, according to the scripture. And that he appeared to many, visibly, in person, and it's by grace, a free and generous gift that you can be restored to a relationship with himself and live that not only the rest of this earthly life, but for all eternity. That's the gospel we preach. So as an act of worship, we're going to take communion together. And communion is remembering that restored relationship. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, Paul remembers this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, After supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And and guys, I want you to get this. The reason why we do this is to remember. We need to remember. (laughs) We need to remember in the mornings when we feel like crap. (laughs) That he died for my sins according to the scripture. (laughs) My sins are no more, according to the scripture. Right? According to this, my sins are no more because he died for me. Right? And he was raised to life, so death is no more sting for me. Right? And that, that is what we remember when we take communion together. And I hope that that is what you remember with each other as you talk and as you're de- when you're depressed or when you're happy. That's what you remember because that's... <laughs> Every, the whole, I mean, there's so many times in the, the, the New Testament, there's like, we just went preaching it, we just preached it, we talked about it, Because <laughs> right? that's, that's what we live by. So let's worship together in communion, I'll pray for us. Oh God, thank you for making it simple for us, because we get confused easily. God, thank you for making it obvious by your grace. And this is in Galatians. Wasn't Jesus publicly crucified? 
so we can look at that event and see where our sins were taken care of. God, may we just live by that. You're so good to us. We love you. We praise in Jesus' name, amen.